Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Morning, Murphy. Busy day here. Yeah, yeah. Here we are in the throes. We're coming in for the kill on Iowa, and Washington is ablaze with invective and washed up uh, TV lawyers. Yeah. I, I, let, let's deal with the impeachment thing first because it rolls right into the Iowa caucuses. Uh, I do have to, I do have to ask you um, because you've been so so consistently uh, persuaded that rectitude would prevail and that <laughs> witnesses would appear. <laughs> you you just love to love to beat this hammer, but I'm 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 looking on the witnessing like I may be right. But go ahead, set up your uh, set up your gutter attack here, and I'll I'll answer it. I'm trying to beat the idealism out of you about about the virtues of, of uh, people against the pressures of Trump. But um, Bolton, this yeah. Bolton revelation came, not really surprising, and yet. Uh, obviously damaging because the president's lawyers have been saying all week, well, there's no firsthand witness that no one can say the president said, I'm holding up this money because I want an investigation of the Bidens. Well, apparently Bolton is saying it in his book, which conveniently will be available for readers on March 17th now, pushed up in his schedule, very smart planning on the part of his publishers. America needs to know. It, yeah, well, America may need to know now. The question <laughs> is, will they? And, you know, you're, you, a couple of your old clients are right in the middle of this. Mitt Romney uh, has been leading the charge now to have witnesses called, particularly Bolton. Um, and the guy sort of on the bubble is Lamar Alexander, who's retiring, who's your old buddy. Do you think, what do you think the, I'd say the odds were zero before yesterday that there'll be witnesses. I think they're like 20% now, but what do you say? I'm a little more optimistic. Um, first of all, we predicted on Hacks last week that Bolton, who we know to be a shrewd operator in the ways of uh, Beltway intrigue, would do a Sunday show or do something to kind of put himself in play and turn up the heat. And it turned out he, he did this uh, pretty slick move where he sent them manuscript around for approval, which is the normal thing to do, including to the White House staff, and somebody in that greater universe leaked it, so we had the big bombshell, and now then you have Mitt Romney in the hallway saying a lot of his colleagues are coming around. I think this will become the safe vote, which is the four votes they need on the Republican side to force some sort of witness, Romney, Collins, perhaps Murkowski, perhaps Lamar Alexander, who is retiring and is somebody I know to have a, a, a great compass. But I think others could pile on. This becomes the safety vote because this, this is so damning to be part of some Soviet-style shutdown show trial on witnesses that the Cory Gardners uh, and others may, may jump to. So we will see. I think the odds are higher than 20%, though. I think Bolton made it really hard for the Republicans by saying, hey, yeah, I was there, actually. I can tell you everything. Just call me. Uh, so I think I think that kind of switched the power dynamic uh, on, on the whole witness thing. But, you know, I've never believed that the Republicans will vote to convict Trump. He's played this like a Stradivarius. I mean, he couldn't actually oh, totally. publish a book with this account without at least getting caught trying to testify. And so, you know, this has been pretty smart. And, and book sales, I see they're number 17 on Amazon already. So he's, uh, he's doing well. Uh, I, by the way, I don't think it's going to be four votes on, by Republicans for witnesses. It's either going to be two votes or there's going to be quite a few more. Yeah, no one's going to want to be the deciding vote on this, uh, on this issue because you're going to get killed by, you know, Bolton already, who's who's been the bet noir of the left for for twenty years, uh, you know, is now all of a sudden being attacked by the right as a tool of the left. So all these senators are watching, and they're not going to want to jump off this cliff alone because they know uh, Trump's not going to be happy about it. Right, exactly. I'm sure behind the scenes there's a lot of howling from the White House, but the sand wall is crumbling. And I want to say something in defense of John Bolton. He has always been unpopular with the left because he's a hardliner. Uh, on a bunch of issues. But whether you like or don't like Bolton, he is not somebody who's a weather vane. He's always been in the same place. And he has legit policy concerns and differences with Trump. The Trump-Syria withdrawal geopolitically is like right out of Bolton's nightmare journal of exactly the wrong thing to do. So I think it's, I don't think book sales hurt, but I think he's motivated by real differences and the contempt for Trump that even a lot of the foreign policy people who work in the Trump administration have. So I think there is some principle to his madness, but nobody's against having a best-selling book either. 
I want to say I want to say a word for John Bolton too because for forty years I wore a ridiculous walrus like mustache, <laughs> and he's carrying the torch for all us walrus mustache wearers. So uh, that uh, distinguishes him in my book. Indeed. The other element Indeed. of the uh, well, before we leave this, let me ask you something. Does this mean anything at all? Alan Dershowitz always up for the cameras. Uh, did his little turn last night in front of the Senate, and he argued that it really doesn't matter because even if Trump uh, conditioned military aid on an investigation of the Bidens, that it's not an impeachable uh, offense. But they clearly are arguing, basically, Biden was corrupt. He was concerned about corruption, the president. He has every right to uh, pressure the, uh, the Ukrainians on this. It's ridiculous because there's actually a process by which one does these things and it's not sending rudy giuliani to shake down the yeah ukrainians but 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 that's what he's arguing this thing is it just seems it just seems cooked yeah well it is that that is the whole look i i think i am persuaded by the evidence that the president is guilty as hell and ought to be impeached but the problem is the democrats are conducting a trial i thought Schiff was very very good they're making a logical case with a lot of evidence but the problem is, as we say in uh, Philadelphia, the jury has been dusted off. So they're making a trial to a fixed jury. The Republicans have what I call the squid ink defense. All they've got to do is squirt a big, inky, black cloud to go hide in and swim away. So in the court of public opinion, the Republican troops are being fed their message of it's all a scam and, you know, Hunter Biden and all that, which is campaign rhetoric. And the Democrats are making a very good case in the court of this but again the jury is bent so i think in the politics of it it it's not a big number mover i think it hurts trump a little i think this bolton thing could supercharge it a bit but fundamentally both sides are going to take their talking points away and i'll even say the republicans in the in in the public opinion court are going to score and have scored on this hunter biden thing because if his name was hunter murphy nobody would be paying him a million bucks a year does that mean biden's corrupt no i mean even carl rove who we had on our podcast back in austin admitted that everybody wanted that corrupt pod, uh, that corrupt prosecutor out and it had nothing to do with joe biden corruption but for republican troops looking for something to tell themselves and have a battle flag they're pumping out some useful propaganda right now. Let me just say, if you could get paid a million dollars if your name was Hunter Murphy, I would change your first name to Hunter if I were you. <laughs> I'm just telling you. But yeah, um, I might try that. We do have a we we have a, a room full of uh, of of folks here at the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics as we record this. So we're going with a live mailbag today, which we'll get to later. But I will tell you what I've heard from students here. But also, I was in a focus group last week of Democrats in Chicago. Uh, people who share your view that the president was, in fact, guilty of an impeachable offense, but paying no attention to the trial because they know the ending. It's like, why go to the movie when you know what the yeah. end is going to be? And I, you know, I think there's a kind of, even though this is deadly serious um, and it's historic, uh, there is kind of a ho-hum attitude about it in some ways in the country. Yeah, it's our postmodern politics now where nothing means anything. And everybody's dug in. Now, my main question is about a Chicago Democratic focus group is how many of them were alive? But I'm bumped, dead voters, old joke. Okay, moving on, moving on. Here all week, ladies and gentlemen. That, that you're dusting off your 30-year-old jokes now, the, the, the Chicago dead voter jokes. Yeah, well, or 100-year-old voters, but um, call back. No, no, no. But the point is, you're right. Everybody's decided this is kabuki theater, which in, is in itself a tragedy. If everything is so politicized that nothing matters except the reality bubble of either side it is. and facts don't count, it's a tragic thing for our politics. Facts are supposed to well, pierce Well, for democracy. Bubbles. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, um, it's heartbreaking in a way. But let's get, back, let's get back to the Bidens because, you know, Trump has been signaling and his supporters have been signaling that uh, they're going to introduce the Bidens into this process. You take one of ours, you, 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 we're going to take one of yours and all of that. And obviously— the way the president bought himself an impeachment proceeding here was going to extraordinary lengths uh, to 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 lay this Burisma thing on uh, the Bidens and to provoke the Ukrainians to start uh, an investigation. And they spent the afternoon yesterday uh, with the former attorney general of Florida, Pam, Pam Bundy, on the floor of the Senate, essentially laying out the the, the sort of 
conspiratorial theory, the conspiracy theory, uh, some of which is valid and some of which isn't, uh, on, uh, on the Bidens and Burisma. Let's, uh, let's just listen to a few seconds of her. How much money did Hunter Biden get for being on the board? Well, you start looking at these bank records. According to reports, between April 2014 and October 2015, Burisma paid more than $3.1 million to Devin Archer and Hunter Biden. That's over the course of a year and a half. How do we know this? Some of Devin Archer's bank records were disclosed during an unrelated federal criminal case having nothing to do with Hunter Biden. So uh, that was the first half of it. She, uh, and, and, and you know what? That was a bad deal. Someone should have told Hunter Biden not to go on that board. And uh, it, it is a bad look. And Biden's going to have to deal with that as he goes forward. Uh, the rest of the case was that because Biden, on behalf of the United States of America and the whole Western alliance, pressured the Ukrainians to fire a corrupt prosecutor who, by the way, had ceased investigating Burisma, uh, that he was somehow corrupt and furthering his son's ill-gotten gains. Uh, the truth is that he probably put Burisma in more jeopardy by getting rid of Shokin, who was corrupt and everybody knew he was corrupt and had quit investigating uh, Burisma. But this is not going to end here. You know, Lindsey Graham has said he's going to open an investigation into the Burisma thing. Burisma is the new Benghazi for the Republicans. Yeah, look, it. this thing is it's the pure politics of it. Joe Biden is definitely guilty of having a son who cashed in a bit on the family name, which is hardly new news in either Republican or Democratic national politics, from Nixon burgers to, you know. There may be even a few kids in the White House who. Yeah, I I was just going to say it. Cop to that. You know, Roger Clinton, you can go on and on and on. But the idea that that's anywhere near the magnitude of what Donald Trump does and is in this proceeding being accused of is ridiculous. But ridiculous counts in politics. Again, it's squid ink. You just want a big cloud of black ink to muddy the waters. And politically, now the Republican troops can all, when they're at the you know dinner table, they're the Democratic nephew screaming about it, Pete Trump, oh, that Biden got paid off corruption. And in voter land, it all blurs together. They all do it. So it is an effective political weapon, even if it's ludicrous. Um, in the scope and the, the actual legitimate argument that's at stake here, should Trump be impeached? Is he fit or unfit for office? And did he use the power of the presidency for himself? Yes, he did. So we're, we're, we are six, six days now from the Iowa caucuses, which kick off the process. And uh, Biden is fighting uh, there to, to win the uh, caucuses or do well enough so that he doesn't, as, as you say, that he's not Superman who can't lift the train. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Joni Ernst, the Republican senator from Iowa, uh, went out yesterday and did what politicians aren't supposed to do. She said the thing that was supposed to stay in the bubble box after the Bondi uh, testimony. Let's listen to her. Iowa caucuses, folks. Iowa caucuses are this next Monday evening. And I'm really interested to see how this discussion today informs and influences the Iowa caucus voters, those Democratic caucus goers. Will they be supporting Vice President Biden at this point? Not a certain about that. So so I'm sure everybody was uh, a little uh, uneasy about that. Biden actually tweeted that clip and uh, with a, a note saying, Iowa caucus goers take note. Joni Ernst just spilled the beans. She and Donald Trump are scared to death. Uh, I'll be the nominee uh, on February 3rd. Let's make that, uh, let's make their day. So this is, this is, uh, this is a question. Do you think he's doing the right thing? He's saying, Donald Trump is saying, I'm the guy right. who can, uh, you know, I, who can beat him. And the polling in Iowa and elsewhere shows that there are, that the largest number of voters say, I, my number one priority is to pick someone who could, can, can, uh, can beat Donald Trump. Uh, and in a second, we'll listen to some ads and, and Biden really hits that theme uh, in the ads. But do you think, because I've heard from some on the ground there that there are 
people in Iowa, large numbers of undecided voters, they like Biden. They believe he's honest. They don't believe he's corrupt. But they're worried, having gone through the 2016 experience, that the Republicans are going to Benghazi him. Right, right. And that that will make him less less electable. Yeah, I think the conventional wisdom has been that this process in the Senate helps Biden because it starts the general election. It makes it Trump v. Biden. The evil Trumpies are trying to kill our hero, Joe Biden. We all go to Biden. Again, and you know, if I have a distortion, I've always been a little short Biden as a candidate. I like him as a human. Uh, so I've always thought he's a little overrated. Well, this Burisma thing will, will drive the opposite street talk, which is, oh, Lord, you know, the idiot kid took the money. We're never going to hear the end of it. Trump can do something with that. So I, I think net net, there is no boost in the Iowa caucus from this. I think the best thing Biden has going is Amy voters may migrate to her in counties where she can't get to 15%, which could be, could be meaningful. Amy Klobuchar. We'll, we'll get to that. I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead in the story, but let's listen to, uh, Biden's uh, one of his closing ads here, which really speaks to just how much he's leaning into the I'm the guy who can beat uh, Trump. Every day he's president, Donald Trump poses a threat to America and the world. We have to beat him. Joe Biden is the strongest candidate to do it. He beats Trump by the most nationally and in the states we have to win. This is no time to take a risk. We need our strongest candidate. So let's nominate the Democrat Trump fears the most. Vote Biden. Beat Trump. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not subtle. It's very straightforward. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, uh, vote Biden, beat Trump is the tagline on all his, his, his ads now. Uh, so the question is whether uh, this or anything else weakens people's sense of uh, Biden as the guy who can beat Trump. Let me just run a couple of other ads before you comment, because he's not the only one trying to get in the Trump game here. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we uh, listen to Elizabeth Warren's uh, one of her closing ads here. He grew up in a mansion in New York City. She grew up here in Oklahoma. He got millions from his dad's real estate empire. Her dad ended up a janitor. He scammed students at his for-profit school. She got debts forgiven for students who were scammed. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. Trump's life taught him how to get rich on the backs of others. Elizabeth Warren will be a president who works for you. I'm Elizabeth Warren, and I approve this message. It's really interesting because for most of this campaign, she's been avoiding the uh, Trump and just speaking about her issues. And now I think uh, there is an effort to sort of show how she might run against Trump uh, to reassure voters that she's the one who can take him on. Yeah, I don't know. I'm meh about all this stuff. I get why Biden's doing it. I get why she's doing it. They're not bad ads, but I don't see a killer advantage for anybody in them. If you're a Elizabeth Warren supporter, you think she's best against Trump because we need a fighter. We need a progressive. We need, you know, fill in the blank. If you're a Biden supporter, you've always said, okay, he's kind of old and boring, but boy, he can beat Trump. So this is almost more about, I think, reinforcing who they already have than creating some identity that's going to break through for them. At least that's my reaction to it. It's also processy, which I don't like. She's running a, uh, another ad that I, I'm not going to play, but, uh, uh, with her brothers and other relatives from Oklahoma who are distinctly rural, uh, working class white voters uh, talking about her and why she'd be a great president. And I, you know, you and I talked about this back in the fall. Uh, these are some ads that she should have been running early. I, early, I think she yeah. should have been laying a foundation on her biography because I, th- what she is trying to redress here is the fact that she has not reached as far as she needs to to be competitive. Uh, in these white working class uh, uh, precincts of Iowa and elsewhere. This has been a problem she's had in in Massachusetts as as well. So she's trying to get the effete uh, uh, label off of herself. She's got a lot of endorsements in the last few weeks, including in Iowa, Quad City Times, some other papers. Uh, The New York Times co-endorsed her. We talked about that last week. Ridiculous co-endorsements, but... That's another question. Um, is she, but on the ground, she's getting a bunch of Booker, Kamala people. And the register. The, the register endorsement was the big one. Actually, Amy Klobuchar got the Quad City Times. Yeah, 
Uh, she got the Register, which may be the one really meaningful newspaper endorsement. She's got the best organization. And yet there is this feeling that Bernie Sanders is rising and she is falling. And that uh, uh, that if that trend plays out as it has been the last couple of weeks, that she's going to she's going to fall in this uh, in this process. Yeah, I don't know. I think I agree with you. The early bio would have helped her a lot. But politics does not come with a time machine. And the ad with the relatives, are we going to play it now? Because I have a thought about that. Okay. I'm Elizabeth Warren, and I approve this message. I'm a registered Republican. I, uh, I will vote for it, of course. I'm crazy about her, and I'll vote for it. Many of our family are Republicans, but every single one of us love Aunt Betsy and would do anything in the world for her. She genuinely wants to make things right for people. She is probably the most honest person I've ever known. As a human being, none better. The whole world will be a better place with her being president. Not just rich people in the world, everybody in the world. It's a pretty, I mean, I think it's a pretty interesting ad. I just, it, yeah. it, it you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's surprising. That's not how people associate her. Yeah, I think if they'd started early, more traction. My problem with the spot, which I think is well-crafted, is to me it just proves that your relatives never read your campaign position papers. I think voters are a little cynical about this because the oh, I'm a Republican and you know I love her and I think the 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 selling psychology in people's heads will be yeah of course you do you know relatives so you ignore all the communism so I don't know it reminds me of the great old Paul Newman uh, political flick Blaze where he uh, vote for Earl I ain't crazy you know I. I think it's a little too clever by half, but early with a slow build, I think that bio could have done a lot for her. I think it's just too late to be credible. Yeah, I agree. Well, the, the tell that they're concerned about Iowa is that uh, where they have invested tremendous amounts of resources and where she was leading for much of the year, uh, her campaign sent out a memo last week saying uh, the four early state contests are just the beginning. Uh, yeah. And they talk about all the all the organization and investments that they have in uh, in some of the later states. Message being, I don't have to win to still be right. in this contest. That's the old oh my my organization will save me later if nobody wants what I'm selling. I I'll I'll say one thing for Bernie, who at least conventional wisdom thinks is the big front runner based on some polls in Iowa. A Bernie ad a year ago, a Bernie ad a month ago, and a Bernie ad tomorrow are all the same ad. Um, there, there hasn't been the need for the maneuvering. Well, let's, we have a Bernie ad, as a matter of fact, which I think okay. is a really interesting contrast with the others. There are those who say we cannot defeat a corrupt political system and fix a rigged economy. But I believe we need to lift our vision above the obstacles in place and look to the American horizon. To a nation where every child can not only dream of going to college, but attend one where quality health care will be a birthright of every citizen, where a good job is not a wish but a reality, where women receive equal pay and a living wage is paid to all, an America where after a lifetime of labor, there is time for rest and grandchildren, a nation that defends our people and our values, but no longer carries so much of that burden alone. I know we can create that America if we listen to our hearts and that journey begins here in Iowa. I'm Bernie Sanders. I approve this message, and I ask you to join with us at the caucuses on Monday night. Thank you. In fairness to the other candidates, uh, uh, you know, Biden has another ad up that, that is more sort of more uh, aspirational than the one that we played. Um, but there's a real contrast between Bernie's ad and the other ads, which are more process uh, processy. Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, and that is what his, I mean, and you're right. We know that this is a cr- contemporary ad because he's appears in it and looks older than he did four years ago and 40 <laughs> years ago. But the words, the words could have been recorded then. That consistency is big. He is moving. I, f- I feel out of fairness, we should also listen to what Buttigieg is doing. Then I want to talk about the polling and I'll get back to Amy Klobuchar in a minute. It's time to turn the page from a Washington experience paralyzed by the same old thinking, polarized by the same old fights, to a bold vision for the next generation. To win, we must confront corporate greed more brazen than anything we saw a generation ago. Reverse the inaction on climate change, which has brought us to the brink. Move beyond endless wars with alliances built for today's threats. We need to break from the old politics and unify this nation. 
I'm Pete Buttigieg, and I approve this message. Not bad. You know, again, like Bernie, he has content. He has content. It's not process. It's not strategy. You're going to vote for me, and then I'll win Ohio. It is. Here's what you get. And he plays the climate change card, which is tremendously powerful, particularly among Democrats under 50. So I, I think that and the Bernie ad stand apart as good, clean message shots. And the turn the page thing, I saw him talking about a new politics uh, for the country. Th- that is good because it fits him. You know, there's there's a, 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 a hole to it. It's an it's a argument that he reflects well personally. So I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good closing ad. And again, I liked it was message. I, I think the big hurdle for Buttigieg is uh, with Trump in the offing, uh, do people see him uh, as the guy who can and beat him? And by the way, the other is, um, you know, those who are worried about sort of choosing the nominee, you know, there was this concern about him and minority voters. It was probably exacerbated a little today. There was a couple of pieces in the Times and the Journal about uh, some disgruntled minority staffers leaving the campaign and about the decision-making in the campaign. I thought they were sort of uh, they were less than they appeared, but uh, but they will be used by uh, by his opponents, uh, I'm sure. But the real question is, can this new generation uh, message break through uh, in the final in the final days? Yeah, I think so. But you know, if for all the the turbulence around Iowa, a week from now, if Buttigieg beats Biden and is in the top two, it's an all-new race. If Biden and Bernie are the top two, then we, we've talked about this. We kind of know what the race is. So this is this week is the test uh, for Pete Buttigieg, and we'll see. But I, I thought a solid closing ad that played to who he is and his strengths. Yeah, I think that I think Warren needs to beat Bernie, and I think that uh, uh, Buttigieg needs to beat Biden in order yep. to really sustain their races for a uh, uh, for the long term. And uh, so the polling averages in Iowa have Bernie inch, uh, inching ahead, uh, Biden in second, followed by uh, uh, Buttigieg Warren or Warren Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, who's been moving, uh, who's been moving up. Uh, the real question in caucuses, as you know, is mm-hmm. uh, they're more complicated than primaries. You have to show up seven o'clock at night and stand in front of your neighbors and uh, participate in a process where you declare your your uh, allegiances. It requires more of a commitment and a little bit more energy uh, and uh, enthusiasm. And so, one of the que- Bernie's people are enthusiastic. Um, the, you know, the question is, um, and and presumably he has in his own way a way to bring them out. Warren has the best organization in. Uh, in Iowa, and I think her people are enthusiastic as well, although a dwindling number, uh, if you believe these polls. Uh, Buttigieg has a good organization and enthusiasm. Uh, Biden has affection. The word on the ground is um, not a, not you know huge enthusiasm, and a, and and the the least of the organizations among the candidates, which has plagued him in the past. How do you handicap something like one good thing for Biden is that the weather report is good. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, vast number of his voters are, are older voters. Uh, I think he's got 40 something percent of people over 65. I don't think a blizzard or um, or sub-zero temperatures would have been helpful uh, to him. They're saying it's going to be 40 degrees and clear in Iowa next Monday. So that would be helpful to him. All my in-laws in Iowa scoff and say there, there's no blizzard that'll stop. We're Iowans. Um, but you're right. You're right. He does have an older older hunk of voters there. He needs a Walker-friendly weather report. I, look, I, I, I the only thing I'm doing, because I'm not there and I don't know, I do talk to some Iowa political operatives, mostly Repubs who are watching this. Their view is that there's no energy in the Biden troops. Um, they think Bernie is really doing well. They think Buttigieg in the in the uh, the bigger counties, the Polks, the college towns has energy like Bernie does. But the truth is nobody knows. The one thing I'm doing is I'm ignoring a lot of these last polls. There's another register poll coming the last weekend. And, and as good as Ann is and, and these other pollsters, getting an Iowan now to answer the phone 
is almost impossible because so many field and voter calls are being made. Uh, I know there are hybrid methods with the Internet and other ways to poll, but I am suspicious of the data. And if we had Ann Seltzer from the Iowa Register polls, highly respected, and we liquored her up on the podcast, she would admit it's almost impossible to poll right now. So to me, um, I think the top four are going to be the top four. I felt Bernie coming on for a couple of weeks, so and I've said on the podcast, I think it'll be Bernie and somebody, but I do not know who the somebody is. Well, that, as you say, that that will determine uh, the 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 course of the race. I think the Biden people feel they're well fortified for the long run, but I, you know, if they start, if they have a uh, an awkward start here and then move into New Hampshire and do the same, the question is, is there an yeah. unraveling as strong as they now appear in uh, in later states? I, I believe, by the way, it will unravel quickly. I've never believed Fortress Biden or Fortress anybody, for that matter. Yeah. Well, one guy who's watching this with interest is Mike Bloomberg, who's waiting uh, mm-hmm. on the theory that Biden will unravel and that he can become the great sort of moderate alternative to uh, to Biden. Long shot theory, um, but uh, but it's a theory that he's putting like a you know a gazillion dollars against. So. Um, you know, uh, we'll see about that. Um, hey, one thing about the Iowa caucuses, you'll probably be commenting on them next uh, Monday. We're going to be talking about them uh, next week. But um, it's a different kind of deal, you know, because Bernie actually muscled the uh, Iowa Democratic Party into doing something they've never done before, which is they're going to release a raw vote first. They're going to treat it as a primary first. So you, you, you signal your preference. They total up the number and they're going to release that number first. And so if 2000 students at uh, Iowa State or the University of Iowa show up in a precinct for Bernie Sanders, that all goes into the raw total. And, um, it's more likely than not that he's going to do, he's going to overperform, uh, as a result in the raw vote. And you could have a split result. Uh, where someone does uh, relatively better with the delegates and someone does better on the raw vote and how it gets reported. We had this thing in uh, Nevada in 2008. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, uh, Hillary Clinton was reported to have won the, uh, the, the caucuses based on the raw vote. And then uh, there was one rural district up in northern Nevada that teetered on the brink and the delegate fell our way, meaning Obama, and Obama won more delegates than Clinton there, giving uh, and uh, giving uh, Obama the, uh, the chance to claim a split verdict. But the early stories were that Clinton, uh, that Clinton had won the Nevada uh, caucuses. So there's going to be a lot right. of spinning here because you not only have the raw vote, but then you have the first alignment in the caucus. If someone doesn't get 15%, then, then there's a second alignment and the people who are not viable, the candidates who are not viable, their supporters can then align themselves. And since the center left is more divided than the left, you know, a, a Biden or a Buttigieg could end up doing much better in the second uh, in the second alignment. Uh, I'm a little confused. Can you go through all that again? <laughs> yeah, so here, no, take no, out right. this whiteboard here. <laughs> you go, you go you're 10 right, yards, you're right. make but, a left. But I think there's a little, I think a little more is being made out of this than needs to. We're going to have multiple numbers, so the cable world will get to argue about it all night. But the bottom line, and I'd be curious what you think. If I were running a Democratic campaign, if I had to choose between one of the two, I'd rather be the fast, obvious, popular vote winner uh, and declare myself the champion of the will of the party and let the 1% of the total delegate count thing be settled over the next couple of days. I, I think the best thing to have election night is the overall vote winner. What do you think? Yeah, well, that, I, think, I think that may favor Bernie. All these polls, by the way, yep. are there, you know, the, you have some polls that say Biden's had some polls that say, um, that say Bernie's ahead. A lot of the difference goes to how you weight, uh, by age. Um, the, um, uh, the poll that in the New York Times last weekend that had Bernie up uh, significantly in Iowa also said that 23% of the people who participate in these caucuses will be under the age of 29. That would be higher than the number that came out for Obama in 2008. So uh, that would be an extraordinary uh, thing if that happens. So I, I just, I think there's a lot of... Um, the, the 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 Des Moines Register poll we're going to see Saturday has a great track record, 
But you're right. This is a tough one to call. I think it's kind of fun because it's too close to call. So, you know, it, it's driving everybody crazy. But I, I say let them vote. The, the key for me is what we, we've touched on, you've touched on, I have, which is if this turns into ultimately a massive contest for what the Democratic Party is between Bernie and somebody, that somebody race could include Bloomberg going forward. You know, it, or Biden, I think, will wrap up the BD. He'll put the pieces together to be the not Bernie candidate pretty quickly if he can survive that gauntlet. Because if he's top two in South Car- excuse me, in uh, New Hampshire too, he'll bounce down to South Carolina, which is tailor made for a strong Biden showing if he comes in there with momentum out of New Hampshire. And to me, that's the big if. Yeah, I mean, the, the other issue is if Pete Buttigieg were to overcome Biden, finish first or second. Uh, and do the same in New Hampshire. Can he find a way in South Carolina and Nevada to move up? Will that momentum give him a second, uh, a second look here? So, uh, Amy. So, quick question for you before just about Amy because I, I think we ought to talk about her for a minute. Long rumored to be moving forward. I'm. I don't really believe it. I think she's inching forward. Probably will not make it out of Iowa if she doesn't finish in the top three. Could happen. Unlikely. But let let me do the. She just got endorsed by the Manchester Union leader. In uh, New Hampshire. Yeah, but their their circulation now is about 28. You know, it's all about the globe there. But yes, that was an endorsement. She got a uh, paper in Davenport, too. And of course, the mighty New York Times Siamese twin endorsement. But my question for you, do you think Amy's phone rang this week uh, or today, taking a hint from us, uh, and Joe Biden makes an offer to her? Because the odds are high that Amy is going to not make it to New Hampshire in any meaningful way. But if she were to get out of the race tomorrow and support Biden, who the, at least the New York Times polling says the, the bulk of her voters are most comfortable with, uh, it could give him a closing search in the thing and bring a lot of clarity to the race soon. Now, candidates never do this. They crawl to the finish line dead. They keep the impossible dream alive. But if you're operating from the point of view of what is good for Amy Klobuchar, being the kingmaker for Joe Biden and Iowa to set up the stop Bernie versus reliable Joe race, that's not a bad move for her. What do you think? I think she hasn't gotten the call because she's been locked up in the Senate uh, with impeachment trial, and they have they aren't allowed to have phones in there. So I don't think the call has come through. I actually think, by the way, being locked up in that Senate trial has hurt her more than anyone else because she needed uh, she needed to barnstorm the state of Iowa uh, this week, and she's not going to have uh, that opportunity. But I see nothing in her body language to suggest that she would accept such an offer. I understand the theory, and, and you're not the first uh, to to have, have raised it, uh, you know, and there is chatter that perhaps if Biden were the nominee that he would choose her on the theory that the Democrat has to win uh, the upper Midwest, uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan, and particularly Wisconsin. She's from the neighboring state. She plays well in those uh, areas. And uh, but, you know, there is a counter argument, which is that Biden doesn't stir a lot of excitement among other elements of the Democratic Party and that he needs a running mate who might a Stacey Abrams, a, maybe a Kamala Harris or, uh, you know, that he needs he needs something more. That's for later. The first thing he has to do is become the nominee. I don't think she's going to make a move uh, probably until after New Hampshire. And then she will. I think she must have been watching out of the corner of her eye these stories that Kamala Harris is thinking of endorsing Biden uh, because uh, she's someone else in the vice presidential picture. But my read of Klobuchar right now is that she is locked in and wants, you know, she she's hoping for something to happen in Iowa where she she'll not. I don't think she. I don't think she's going to be in a third place finish. But honestly, if she moved into fourth, that would give her enough gas to get into because then she would have beaten one of the big four. And then she, it'll give her enough gas to get to New Hampshire. And then after New Hampshire, she's going to have to make a decision if she can't do anything there. I, I totally agree. And that's probably what will happen, though. I think if she thinks about her interest, she has a pretty binary choice. Either be the biggest player in Democratic politics for a few days or read a hastily written concession speech in a half-empty ballroom in Manchester, New Hampshire. But we'll see. Maybe lightning will strike and she'll sweep. She's an avid listener of Hacks on Tap, so I'm sure she'll take that under advisement. <laughs> Let's take a minute to hear from another of our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Dropbox Business. Think about the people you work with. You're all supremely different. 
but that's what makes a team so valuable. Different skills, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking and working. So why force everyone to work the same? Dropbox designed a new kind of workspace, a space where whatever works best for you works best for your team, where every file and app connect. Tasks not only assign work, but also help organize it, where you can create new decks, spreadsheets, and even launch video calls without ever needing to leave your workspace. That's Dropbox Business, a space for teamwork your way. Try Dropbox for your team at dropbox.com slash teams at work. Thank you, sponsors. And now, back to the show. So, Murphy, our mailbag today is a live mailbag, and we are going to solicit questions uh, from our audience here. I don't know if our audience was told that. Cool. If anybody has questions, come up to this microphone. You know, we uh, as we do that, we should probably paint the radio picture here, as they taught me a million years ago. We're doing this podcast uh, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, where I proudly serve on the board. And you are our controversial executive director, chairman, and chief poobah. So I am on a big plasma screen in the corner, and you're at a card table with a very stylish uh, uh, step-and-repeat wall behind you. Yes. Uh, looking very very dressed up here. So that that's what we're doing. We're doing our first you, you uh, paint a you paint a wonderful word picture here. <laughs> I might add that I am on the on the feed. The kids can see I'm wearing my USC Trojans hat because of course we have a, another political institute of which uh, we're often inspired by the Chicago one at the University of Southern California, the Center for the Political Future. So this is our our LA Chicago connection here. A fine institution. Well, People are shy. I'm going to read some. I'm going to read some uh, written uh, questions. Uh, and uh, here's one from Mike. Despite everything, Trump has maintained around 42 percent approval throughout his term, and we should point out throughout this impeachment process. Are there any indications as to whether a 42 percent approval rating for Trump has the same electoral benefit as a 42 percent approval rating for a normal president? Oh, that's a good question. I would say. And speaking of USC, we have a poll coming out Friday, which is even a little worse than that for Trump. It'll be on our website. Uh, I think there's a slight advantage for Trump. because Fake news. Yeah, a little cheap plug there. Trump's vote distributes in a way that he gets a little more oomph from it, at least last time and probably this time, from the Electoral College. In other words, he does better in certain smaller states with less dense population than a Democratic candidate or another candidate who might be 43 but in big population centers. So Trump's uh, – the, the nature of the Republican now, having the vote spread out in a lot of rural areas, it does get a little help from the Electoral College, I think. But I still think if I were Trump and it's 42, I'd be very worried. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Matthew Dowd, who you and I both know, uh, has uh, said in the past uh, – he was uh, Bush, uh, George W. Bush's uh, polling guy – that uh, – that you know, no pres- that the electoral. Uh, I'm sorry, that the election generally follows the pattern of approval ratings, and so his supposition is that with, if Trump is down where he is, that he'll win. But I, I do think the electoral college, uh, as and the nature of our polarized politics has skewed this, and you're going to have the same kind of, uh, you, you know, Trump losing a popular vote by three million or more, and. Uh, the a handful of states deciding this election by a relatively uh, by a relatively thin margin. Yes, we have a question Hi, up here, Jake. Um, longtime listener, first time caller. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, is <laughs> what are the odds? Do you think of the top two in Iowa being Liz and Bernie coming out of this? Because people keep talking about we're going to have one more moderate, one more left. What if it's both on one side? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that would require um, the sort of center-left candidates to split relatively evenly. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it would be – I'd be surprised if it turned out that way. I do think that there's been a real relationship in polling between uh, Warren and Sanders, uh, you know, and for obvious reasons, they're both uh, uh, candidates who have argued uh, positions on the left. Um, and, uh, as Bernie's gone up, uh, she's gone down, particularly with younger voters. Um, and so, uh, the, the wild card is 
she has the best organization in Iowa. Uh, the people who built it are people I know. They're people who are deeply involved in the Obama uh, in the Obama race, and uh, uh, and um, so I, 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 you know, I think that that is something that makes it a little bit uncertain. But I, at the end of the day. Um, I think if Bernie wins, it's unlikely that she would be the second candidate, and that I think one of the center-left candidates, Biden or Buttigieg, most likely would finish uh, second. Um, but you know, no, no, I, I just I agree with all that. I, I think it's not impossible, though. It would just be a very close finish, so they would all be clumped together, and they'd be top two, and a third person would be very close, and that means the third place ticket out of Iowa would have more value. Because then, even though you're third in Iowa, you you are the leader of a lane that still has power in New Hampshire and beyond. Particularly if it would be Biden in third, because he can he can say, "Well, I'll, I'm gonna I'll get to the top two in New Hampshire, and then I've got South Carolina." So unlikely, but not impossible in my view. So Polly said, uh, uh, Murphy says, "I'm becoming more and more afraid about the polls showing Bernie surging. If this is a real thing, is there any chance that?" Obama will insert himself into the primary season to try and help ensure that Democrats don't commit mass suicide. There are certain suppositions in there, and one is that nominating Bernie would be mass suicide. You you probably associate yourself with that uh, theory. You know, I don't. I don't actually. I'm a contrarian on this. I think Bernie is by far the riskiest choice against Trump. Uh, so I think it, as a tactical matter, it's foolish to vote for him, let alone ideology. But when I hear that Bernie can't win, um, I am remember I'm reminded of Ronald Reagan not being able to win, Donald Trump not being able to win. There's a rich history in American politics of the the punditocracy declaring people can't win, and then later, if the country's riled up enough, they win. And in that USC poll I uh, I talked about earlier, in the general election, it's national poll, big sample. Um, Bernie is doing almost as well as Joe against Trump right now, like seven points. I think it's 47-40. Yeah, that's true in other polls as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, and Bernie is well-known. He's not an unknown quantity, and a lot of the, quote, negatives in Bernie are cooked into that number. So I think that if the country wants a mirror image of the Trump revolt, but from the left, Bernie's that guy. Now, again, I think he's risky. I get all the conventional reasons why he could get beat. I'm not going to bet my house on this. But I think just a wave of a lot of Republicans in the Republican thought bubble are like, oh, it's great, Bernie. We walked a reelection with Trump. Well, Trump's horrible numbers are very good for Bernie Sanders. Not being Trump gets you close, even if you're a bag of cement. So I, I don't buy this idea that Bernie's guaranteed death, but I do think he's very risky. One of the uh, interesting things to uh, to watch has been how much the Trump campaign is leaning into how Bernie's getting screwed by the Democrats and they're going to keep him from being the nominee because I think they're going to try and drive a big wedge uh, with Bernie voters if and that's going to be done digitally as much as through Trump's own words uh, if he's not nominated I, I I'm not sure, you know I agree with you I I think it's a, a wild card now the one thing I would say about Bernie is he's never really been attacked. He's not been attacked by Democrats because they don't want to uh, rile up his base. He's not been attacked by Republicans because they think he's doing the Lord's work in attacking uh, uh, center-left candidates. And and so he hasn't really been, as long as he's been around and as much as you say people know him, they don't really know him in the way that they would by the end of an election. And we'll see how he would stand up We'd see how he'd stand up to uh, that. In terms of Obama, uh, you know, he's taken the position that it is not appropriate for him to put his thumb on the scale and decide for Democrats who the nominee should be and that his focus is on uh, a general election. Um, That said, I could foresee a circumstance where if we're getting toward the end of the primary season and one candidate had the lead, uh, that uh, he would try and be a force for coalescing the party around that candidate rather than going to a convention and having a contest- contested uh, convention. So uh, we'll see. But, you know, this notion that Obama's going to swoop in and decide this thing, I think that's a fantasy. I don't yep. think that's going to happen. And, it, and I think he's probably right that it's not good for the Democratic Party uh, for him to do that. It'd be hard to unify the party. And he certainly would have a hard time playing that role as a unifier if he uh, if he picks sides here. I totally agree. I totally agree. 
Last call, brother. Time for uh, our uh, final uh, comments. I-, I will start. And uh, we hadn't heard an Amy Klobuchar ad. Uh, and so here is her closing ad in Iowa. Iowa, it's time to choose. The Quad City Times says it's Amy Klobuchar who's best to push through an agenda bettering the lives of Americans. The New York Times endorses her Midwestern charisma and grit. Klobuchar can unite our party and perhaps our nation. That's why she's visited all of Iowa's 99 counties. I know exactly who I'm supporting for president. Amy Klobuchar. She knows how to get things done. I'm Amy Klobuchar and I approve this message. Oh, I'm sorry. I I drifted off. Do you want the New York Times endorsing your Midwestern grit and charm? It's like Margaret Mead saying, I've come, I've studied the natives, <laughs> and let me describe them for you. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, I, she, I, that was that was the one sort of weird note in the thing. She well represents the simpletons of the hardworking uh, outer boroughs and beyond. I thought it was a terrible ad. Nobody's going to march in and say the next president of the United States needs to, to visit Single Helix County. Uh, and that's why I'm there. It, it, it just, it, it is a, it's a, it's a level B ad, uh, for governor. Uh, it, it is not an ad that's going to catapult her anywhere. And if I were her, I'd go endorse Biden or somebody else and be relevant before they, uh, they, they wrap her up and send her back to the frozen, uh, precincts of Minneapolis. No one can accuse you of not being on message. Yeah, it just, it's a bad closing ad for somebody who needs to hit a home run, in my view. Uh, I thought it was uh, very pedestrian. No, no, but I, on the, on the Biden deal. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. Um uh the she is what is she what she is selling is I don't think it was a particularly great ad. What she is selling is uh proximity. What she is selling is cultural affinity. What she is selling is connection yeah. that she is them. And uh that's what this ad is meant to communicate. That's why I thought it was weird to insert the New York Times into the discussion to attest to her Midwestern roots. I just think she could have carried it and said, let me talk about us because, you know, I'm from 20 miles away from here and use the vernacular, say pop, not soda. There are a million ways to do it with her than an announcer reading copies somebody wrote in French that was later translated into English at the New York Times editorial board. Um, Hey, before we wrap up here, I want to do a plug or two. First, if you have a mailbag question, you can send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com, and we'll be reading those. Also, don't forget to rate us on iTunes or any podcast platform. We're on all of them, and it helps us get the message out. And again, a thank you to our sponsors as well. Well, listen, man, next week we can stop speculating. We're going to actually be able to talk about real voters making real judgments, and uh, I think the whole game will be defined more clearly. Uh, uh, a week from today. Yeah, and I have a little game here. Uh, I'm going to be over at MSNBC. You're going to be on some other network, <laughs> CNN. Uh, we'll be texting back and forth like we do on election night, and why don't we each work a few secret words into our analysis. for? We each work the word hacks uh, into our analysis that night as a secret message to our loyal listeners there. Well, people often use that word about us, so... It, I know that's why it'll, it'll be so be easy, easy to slip it into the. <laughs> I may tug on my ear also. Keep an eye on. Uh, keep All right, I'll be me. I'll be doing the same, pal. What a what a night it'll be, and we'll have so much to talk about next Tuesday. Yeah, after the Iowa caucus. See ya. Take care, pal, and thank you, University of Chicago. Thank you.